by his, the, by his spirit for his glory. And so uh, our prayer life is an act of our dependence upon him for the things that matter most for us. We are actually totally unable to do, but empowered by his spirit. He, we actually get to participate in what God is all about. And so I would just, uh, again, add my invitation to you to tonight. Um, it's uh, the most important gathering of our month is uh, as we gather together to call on God to do what only he can do. And uh, it's always a really rich time together. I want to invite us to uh, join our hearts together in prayer, pr- prayer for us as a community, uh, as a family, as uh, as we... Uh, and then as we uh, enter into the scripture as well. So let's pray together. Let's approach our God together, our Father who loves us. So Father in heaven, we, we come to you again. And we, we say, Lord, how much we need you. And we uh, want to say how great you are, how good you are together. And Father, I thank you for the, the men and women uh, in this room and the boys and girls over in the other uh, wing this morning, and uh, and Father, I pray that uh, that each one of us this morning would have a touch of your love, that we'd experience that you are a God of love, that we would experience even this morning that you're Emmanuel, God with us, that you're here among us, that your holy presence is here with us, that Lord, you'd give us new hope and new joy and new peace today. And I pray, Father, for any... Any of us who've gathered, who, who are living a life of maybe quiet desperation, who are at the end of our rope, who, who are tempted to give in to despair today. And Father, I pray that as a revelation of your spirit and of the good news of Jesus, that you'd fill us with hope again. Or maybe for the very first time that we'd have a taste of, of hope and of joy and of peace. Father, I pray for those in our family who are experiencing illness, acute illness, Lord, maybe chronic illness, mental illness, those undergoing treatment for cancer, and those, Lord, maybe who, who know that our end here on this earth is, is coming near. And so, Father, I pray for hope and peace as well. We pray that you would reach out your hand to do, to do healings among us. That you would show your strength and your goodness and your grace and your power among us. And that even through the midst of trials, Lord, we would praise you and say that your love is better than life. That your love is better than health. That your, your love is, is better than riches. That to know you is life eternal, life everlasting, life to the full. And as we come to your word now, Father, as we uh, think about this passage and submit our, our hearts to your word today, Father, I pray that that good news would be uh, received by us. That we'd hear a word of grace for us today. That we'd hear an invitation of love. So come and... Be gracious to us. Open our ears to hear you. Open our eyes to see you. And turn our hearts towards you now by your spirit, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the passage that Doug read for us from uh, the first chapter, 
chapter of Matthew is a dramatic passage. And there's kind of parallel tracks. There's, there's, there's drama on a couple of different levels in this passage. And when I had uh, planned out and blocked out this uh, sermon series uh, uh, a while ago, I had a message in mind. And the message in mind was uh, along the lines of uh, Joseph and, and uh, what, what is his engagement, his betrothal to Mary, what is that all about? And um, to imagine uh, the conversation between Mary and Joseph when Mary uh, tells Joseph that she's pregnant. And, uh, you know, I'd probably reference one of my favorite comedians, Jim Gaffigan. Uh, if you know that clip, it's, it's really funny. Um, to, to think about what is the what are the consequences for Mary and Joseph now uh, the the consequences of what would appear to be unfaithfulness um, and uh, and how God intervened and sent an angel and Joseph's obedience to Mary so that was the kind of the 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 track we were going I was going down and yet as I studied this passage this week and tried to listen to the Spirit of God and what His heart for us this week was all about. Um, in our series, Upside Down Christmas, where we're thinking about how Jesus has come to turn the values of this world upside down, to reverse the values of this world, that, that, that the, the way the kingdom of God works is in, is in stark contrast to the way this world works. I really uh, was uh, convinced about the, and it's really shown the importance of uh, the naming process that was happening here in this passage. So Jesus is given a couple of names, uh, and Mary's child is given a couple of names in this passage. We're told that his name is Jesus, and we're told that he is Emmanuel, and that that's revealed to Joseph in a dream by the angel sent by God himself. And uh, and so, I, so this other sermon kind of came to mind and came to, to heart as I was studying and reading commentators and reading others who've, who've um, who've studied this passage and are teaching on this passage. And so th- that's the message we're, we're going to dig into today, this whole issue of uh, naming this baby and what, is that, what does that mean for us today. And so it's really critical for us as we uh, think about the, the names that Jesus has given in this passage and who's giving them. Uh, it's important for us to understand that in the scriptures and in ancient times, the, uh, a name of, of a person was much more than just a label. It was not, it was more than just an identifier of, uh, oh, we mean this person. We mean this, um, that it's an, uh, but the, the, you know, a parent chose a name not just because they liked the ring to it, not just because it sounded nice and it, um, but there was, there was a, a, a lot more behind a name. The depth really of who you are, your, your very identity was tied up in your name was tied into your name. So my parents obviously had that in mind when they chose the name Kevin. It means handsome. I've been trying to live up to that for the last 39 years and uh, failing miserably, probably, uh, on most days as I uh, neglect my personal hygiene. Uh, but I don't know. So I don't know if you know what your, uh, what your name means. Uh, I don't know if your parents had that in mind when they, they named you. Uh, as uh, as parents, uh, and as each of the times we were expecting a child, um, we we did pay attention a little bit to the name, although we did also have to pay attention to the the sound of the name. Sherry would ixnay any name that ended first name that ended in B because our last my last name begins with a B, and so for example, Caleb Bain, she didn't like the ring to it, and so that wasn't a, that that got 
uh, ixnade uh, by my lovely wife every time, even though I kept bringing it up. So, so what, what's, what, uh, in the, the naming process here, we need, we need to understand how much of an, uh, the identity of a person is, is tied up in their name in the scripture. And, uh, and, and how much of, so, so there's two aspects to this. There's two aspects to, uh, to your name. First of all, there's the source of your name. Who gives you your name? And that speaks to the authority in your life. The source of your name speaks to the authority in your life. So the one who names you is your authority, at least at the beginning of your life, right? So parents, good news. You're, the, you're an authoritative figure in the life of your, of your kids. You're responsible for them. And they're responsible to you. And so uh, there's a stand. This is a standard by which, to which you defer in your making of your life's decisions. And so um, we still have that a little bit in our culture, I think, and we refer to this a bit when we say when we refer to our family name, and we're like, "You're a Smith, you're a Jones, and Joneses are," and we fill in the blank, right? And say, in our family, this is. What's important to us, and so, um, and so, some at least some of us have that uh, that in our family name there is a um, there's an an, a, an identification of this is where I come from, and so therefore this is what I have to live up to. This is this is the uh, this is my source. This is where I come from, and so this is the authority in my life. See, the naming is always given from the greater to the lesser. And so you can see this a couple times in the scripture. So, for example, in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Kings 23, there's an example of a king who conquers another king. And there's, a, there's more than this one example in the scripture of this happening, where a king conquers another king, and they take them captive, and they actually rename them to show, I'm greater than you. I have given you your name. That's that's what happens to Daniel and his friends, right? As they're taken into exile in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar comes and he renames Daniel, I think it's Belteshazzar, right? And then his friends get named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So it's interesting, we still know Daniel by his Hebrew name, but we refer usually to his three friends by their uh, Babylonian name. And so renaming was was a more than just a, Hey, you need to fit in here. No, it's a, I am greater than you. I am now the authority in your life. You now listen to me. You now take orders from me. You see it in the, in the creation account, right? Um, God, uh, gives Adam a, a command. He gives him a job. He says, I'm going to bring all the animals before you and you are going to name them. You will name them. It wasn't just that God got tired after naming all the plants. It's like, I've kind of run out of ideas. Adam, why don't you take over from here? No, this was um, God saying to Adam, he says, I want you to have dominion over the earth. I want you to have dominion over the animals. That doesn't mean that we exploit uh, the creation. It means you are responsible for the creation. You are the... the um, pinnacle of creation and it's your job to be responsible to care for and have dominion exercise dominion over the 
animals. And so therefore, it's totally normal for parents to name a child. And so one would expect that as, as Joseph and Mary are going to uh, have a child, that they would be the one to give the name to this child. And yet God comes to Joseph and he says, no, 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 no. You don't get to decide who this child is. You don't name him. He, in fact, names you. You don't manage him. He actually manages you. And so you do not have the right, Joseph, to name this child. You are to give him the name Jesus. And so Jesus derives his name not from his human parents, but from his heavenly father who names him. So the source of our name tells us where we come from. Who names us becomes the, is authority in our lives. But then there's the content of our name. So what, what does the, the, the name that you're given actually mean? That, that speaks to the purpose of your life. What you are to live for. What character are you to um, you know, live up to. And so we're told that he, this baby is to receive the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, Yeshua, which means Yah, the Lord, Yahweh. Shua saves, the Lord Saves. Now, there's lots of titles, there's lots of names for Jesus in the scriptures. He's the good shepherd, he's the vine, he's the light of the world, all of that. And yet, God wants to make it per, perfectly clear to us, crystal clear, that the very core, the personal name of Jesus, of, of his son is Jesus. That he has come for the purpose of saving his people. Saving them from what? From their sin. He has come primarily as a savior. First and foremost, he is a savior from our sin. And so Jesus grows up, and as he's living his life, he has this in, incredible sense of identity. He knows who he is. He's never having this identity crisis where he's wondering, what am I all about? What's my life for? He knows where he came from, and he knows what he came for. He knows that he is Emmanuel, God with us. That he derives, that he is God in the flesh. He knows who he is and he knows the purpose for his life. He knows that he's come to save his people from their sins. And so we see this all throughout the scripture that um, as we read the gospels of Jesus, we read that he's, he's not managed by any person. You know, there's, there's times where his disciples would come to him and say, hey, Jesus, there's like a whole line of people out here and they want you to heal them. And he's like, well, let's go to another town then so I can preach the good news there because that's why I've come. I've come to share the good news of the kingdom in, uh, throughout this land. There's, uh, there's, there's times where uh, towards the end of his life where Jesus, the scripture says, set his face to go towards Jerusalem. He set his face towards Jerusalem. He was going on a mission to Jerusalem because he knew he would suffer, die, and rise again in Jerusalem. And his disciples were like, hey, we don't think you should go to the feast. It's dangerous for you there. The chief priests, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the, the whole Sanhedrin, they want to kill you. These religious leaders are out to get you. We don't think it would be a good move to head to Jerusalem. And he set his face towards Jerusalem. And in fact... John's gospel says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. 
And so he went to Jerusalem. He knew what his life purpose was. He says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have come to give my life as a ransom for many. He knew the purpose for which he lived. See, friends, if we know the authority in our life, what is the standard by which we live, and we know the purpose of our life, that goes a long way to knowing who we are, to knowing our true identity. That if we can be clear on the authority in our life, and we can be clear on the purpose of our life, I think that goes a long way to knowing our identity and being secure in who we are and who we're made to be and who we're called to be and what we're called to do. Now, in our culture, so traditional cultures, um, like the culture that Jesus grew up in and, and, and still in some uh, honor-shame cultures of today, uh, your identity is given to you by your parents, by your family. And you're called to live up to that. And if you live up to that identity, then you are honored. If you don't, you're shamed. But in the modern Western society that we, uh, most of us have grown up in and all of us live in now, uh, we're, we're, so, we're told in a million different ways, and our kids especially, and it seems like it's even growing, and more and more, is are, are told, you need to define who you are. You be you. You do you. Find out, go find yourself. Go bum around Europe and find yourself. Go find yourself. That's your job. Don't let anyone else tell you who you are. You are a brilliant, unique ray of light that needs to shine out into this world. Friends, I don't believe that you and I were built to bear the burden of creating our own identity. We're not built to bear the burden of creating our own identity. And I would posit, I would suggest that that might be one of the sources of the incredible anxiety, the despair, the desperation that so many of us and those so many of us around us are experiencing. That we're trying to create our own identity, but where do I get affirmation? How do I know that I'm right? There's this deep insecurity, which I think then leads to a lot of harsh critique, especially online, right? Have you, like the polarization in our, in our culture is just incredible. And it's not only the U.S. politics, guys. Like, I don't know if I try to be—I try to be hyper local and, and know what's going on in, in, in this town that, that I call home. And so, I, part of these like uh, online uh, forums about Niagara and the Lake, and man, the polar, polarization and the demonization of anyone who dare disagree with me is ridiculous. But I think that stems from this this deep rooted insecurity. I don't know who I am. And I've got to find out who I am. And so we're desperately trying to create our own identity to find out who I am. Jesus had this strong sense of identity. He knew who his authority was. He knew his purpose. 
And so I just want to take a couple of moments and, and try to apply this to us. What is What do we learn from the fact that that Jesus was named by his father, he was named Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins, that he was named God with us. He was the, the, the presence of God. God took up residence. He moved into the neighborhood. He was with us. He walked our streets. He knows our struggles. He knows our sorrows. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. So, by, word, by application, who are you? What's your identity? Well, first of all, who names you? Who names you? Whose voice about you and whose voice about who you are will you listen to? Who are you going to let name you? And we see this in, in, a, in a million different ways, right? We're tempted towards letting and say, I'm, in a, I'm going to define myself by my work. And so I'll pour myself into my career and into my job, and I'm going to become successful. I'm going to be a somebody. I'll know I'm a somebody because I'm successful in my career. Or maybe it's your family. I'll know I'm a somebody if I'm a great mom, if I'm a great dad, if I'm a great and you know grandma or grandpa. I'm going to find myself by just fulfilling all of my cravings. Whatever appetite I feel, whatever I want, I'm going to just follow my desires. Maybe it's morality and religion. You know, that's another way to reject God, really, is through morality, is through trying really, really hard to be really, really good. And therefore, God owes you because you're so good. And look at me, I've shown up at church again. God, you must really think I'm special. You must be so glad I'm on your team. But if you try to name yourself through any means, what actually happens is those things turn around and they name you. And they become your authority. They take authority over you. They rule you. And in the end, they'll ultimately harm you. If you give yourself and try to name yourself through your work, your work is going to become a tyrant in your life. And it will kill you. If you name yourself through your family, what happens when one of your kids rebels against you? I'm a terrible mom. I'm a terrible dad. And you're crushed. I'm reminded of the people who built the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis. They say, then we'll know that we're somebody. Let's make a name for ourselves and build a skyscraper. And it was that very thing that was their downfall. It ruled over them. It became master over them. Which leads us to an upside-down truth. Here's the upside-down truth. That freedom comes through submission. Freedom comes through submission. We think freedom is the, is the lack of submitting. I'm not going to submit to anyone or anyone. I'm going to be my own boss. I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I want. That's freedom. No, that's slavery. The message of Jesus is that freedom comes through submission. When you submit to Jesus as Lord, we find that he is not a tyrant. Joseph, this passage ends, right? Very simply. And he named him Jesus. He submitted. He submitted to God's will. Joseph 
gave him the name Jesus, just as he was told. You see, when your authority is your creator, when your authority is the one who made you, then you find out why you were made. And you begin to live according to the purpose and the vision that God had for you when he made you. When your authority is your creator, you submit to the very one who, who knows you better than you know yourself. You say, well, I'm going to just follow every cra- craving, or I feel like I want to do this. What, how do you know that you're made for that? How do you know you're made for that? How do you know you're meant to do those things? But the God who made you knows you. And he knows what's going to lead to your flourishing. He knows what's best for you. You see, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He knows best. He knows what's going to lead to my flourishing, to my health, to my, my peace, my shalom, my sense of wholeness, the unity of my heart. So who names you? The upside-down truth is that freedom is found in submitting to the will of God for you. You see, we think freedom is, is this throwing off of all discipline or whatever, but um, if I were to walk over to the grand piano here, I'll find that I'm not free. I'm not free to play like Oliver just played and will play again later in the service. I'm not free to to walk up to that and just make beautiful music because I did not submit to any kind of discipline of practice and of teaching. Freedom, the freedom to come to play, the, the, the freedom to play the piano beautifully comes through submission to teaching, to submission to music theory and all that stuff that I have really no idea about. Freedom comes through submission to God's will for you. And secondly, so first of all, who names you? What's the authority in your life? But secondly, what's your purpose in life? What are the priorities and commitments of your life? What is your purpose? We need something higher than ourselves to live for. You see, Joseph and Mary gave up all social standing. They gave up, they endured the disdain of their culture They gave up the respect that other people would have of them. And in fact, they embraced much danger because the implied unfaithfulness carried with it a sentence of death. They took on the disdain of the world to raise Jesus. God gave them a purpose. Raise my son. And as they embraced it, as they embraced God's the ministry, the, the, the calling that God had for them. They, they took on so much uh, danger, required so much courage, but they gave their very lives to this. They gave their lives. And in fact, had to give up their standing in the community. They were looked at sideways for the very rest of their lives. And in fact, at one point, Jesus was uh, kind of, you know, the religious leaders like, we know who our dad is, with the implication, we're not so sure about you. Well, this leads us to the upside down truth, that you actually find yourself by denying yourself. 
you find yourself by denying yourself. Your, your very self, your identity is found not through the fulfillment of every desire, but is through self-denial that you actually find yourself. Jesus invites you to take up your cross daily, to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And in so doing, by denying yourself, we're promised that you actually find yourself. Because those who try to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. You find your very life in the giving up of your life of following Jesus. Jesus came not to lead us into despair. Jesus came not to to make us miserable. He came so that we would have life and life to the full. But that's found in the giving up of our life, in the denial of ourselves. You see, our view of self is so high, and our view of God is often so low that we do not think that following him would be worthy of any kind of effort, sacrifice, or discipline. In fact, we think, man, I am a gift to God. Our view of ourselves is so high, our view of God so low, that we say, it shouldn't take much effort to follow God. He should be pretty happy that I'm on his team. And so so embracing your calling as a Christian means understanding what are the gifts? How has God gifted you? You know, as a follower of Jesus, God's given you spiritual gifts. And those are meant to be used. They're not just for yourself. They're for the body. They're for the greater good. He's given you a ministry. Do you believe that? It's like Matt and Jeff and I and Josh are not the only ones, quote unquote, in ministry. Every member has a ministry. Every one of you, every follower of Jesus in the room has a gift, has spiritual gifts given to you, and has a ministry that you're called to, to give your life to, to deny yourself and engage in ministry. So receive his family name today. How do you receive his family name? How do you become part of the family? All you need is need. That's another upside down reality of Jesus. All you need is need. But so few of us have it. All you need is nothing. But most of us have something in our hands and say, hey, we're pretty good. All you need is need. All you need is nothing. You come and say, I'm one of those sinners. I'm one of those people that need to be saved from their sin. But Jesus, I'm thankful that you came, that you lived and died and rose again. So I receive that, and I ask you to save me from my sin. And the scriptures say when you say that, when you, when you trust in him to be your savior, you're adopted into his family, and you receive his family name. So that you're primarily not a Jones or a Bane, you're a follower of Jesus. You're a member of God's family first and foremost, deepest. That's the deepest reality about you, about where you come from, about the source. He gives you a new name. Revelation talks about that, that he gives us a new name. You receive the family name and then receive the first name that he has for you. The first name that he has for you is the, is the ministry that he's got for you. What is the, what are, what are the, the, don't just join a ministry, like take on a ministry. What are you, what grips you? 
Who are you going to serve? How are you going to share the love of Christ? How are you going to use your gifts, your unique gifts, for the greater good? And in so doing, you may just find out who you are. As you find out who's the authority in your life, who names you, and you find out the purpose for which he's named you, the purpose for which he's calling you to, the life that he's calling you to, the ministry. And so, friends, don't try to name him. Right? So often, I hear this so often. Again, this goes to our culture again as, well, I don't like to think of God that way. Well, excuse me. <laughs> I don't think I could believe in a God who would dot, dot, dot. So the God you do believe in is yourself, right? That's really the implication. If God doesn't make sense to me, he couldn't possibly be God. But friends, if there is an all-knowing, all-powerful creator of everything that you have ever seen, do you not think that he would be a little bit beyond your, some of your understanding? Is that, is that not reasonable? Right? He's a little bit above and beyond us. If he is the ruler and sustainer of all things. How many things? All things. So don't name him. Don't say, I, I don't really like to think of God that way. You know what? We go to his word and we say, you've revealed yourself to us. Thank you. We could never reach across the divide and get to you, so you came to us. And so we, we simply receive. Like, there are things about God I'll time of confession here, there are things about God, there are truths of the scripture that I kind of wished weren't true. I kind of, there's part of me that wishes parts of these, parts of the, of the scripture were, were not what they say they are. Because it would be more palatable in our culture. And I think it would be more effective. But I'm not God. And I don't get to define him. He names me, I don't name him. Right? He names us. We don't name him. God gave him the name. He's the authority. And so he's the one who has the, he knows what's best for us. And so I would simply invite you to that today. To a trust. To a trust about who you are. Who are you you made to be? And it begins, friends, by embracing Jesus. The one who came to save his people from their sins. And it leads to a life of following him and using our time, our talents, our treasures, everything that, all of who we are to serve others. So would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray for each one of us, Lord, and I include myself in that group, that so often just we get mixed up with who we are. And Father, I pray that today we would receive who Jesus is, Emmanuel, God with us, even right now that you're with us by your spirit. That you're Jesus, the one who saves people from their sin. That we would embrace you as Jesus, as Jesus and as Emmanuel. And that, Lord, we would embrace you as the one who names us. And that we, your voice would be the one that we would listen to. That those voices that say we're useless and worthless, those voices that say you're awesome and spectacular just the way you are, you're self-sufficient, you're independent, you're strong, 
that, Lord, those voices that are of this world, that of our ever enemy, we would not listen to, but that we would listen to your voice and we would hear how you define us, that we're loved, that we are beloved children of God, that we're gifted, that we're saved, that we're safe, that nothing happens to us apart from your will. And outside of your will. So reveal the identity you have. And reveal the callings that you would have for us. And so Father, I I would just invite your children here today. And if you're here with us and you're open to receiving and using your gifts in a ministry. In ministry to the community and to the, the body of Christ, I invite you to just signal that by opening the palms of your hands to say, Lord, my life is in your hands. Use my life. Use the gifts you've given. Use my time. Use my money. Use my talents to spread the fame of Jesus throughout this world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every Sunday we have connection time. And we respond just before you get up and ignore me again.